Hi, this is Malia Warner. Welcome to Power Principles, the podcast. This is episode six, Permission to be Happy. Hey there, and happy Monday or whatever day of the week it is when you're listening to this. Last night, I had my favorite class so far. So I've talked about that I'm teaching a healing for heart, mind, and body class at my church. And last night, we were discussing work, play, and rest balance. And there was such a good energy there and just tons of discussion. And I came out learning so much. And at the very end, we played this really fun, really silly game. And I had debated whether to even play the game or not. And the discussion really was going a long time. And we ended up with just a few minutes at the end. And I thought, I don't even know if we'll have a time to play this game and for everybody to have a turn. And I just decided, what the heck, let's go with it anyway. And you know what? We had less than 15 minutes and everybody got a turn. And we were so energized. I was. I think everybody else was. There was such good energy in the room and we were laughing. I laughed so hard and I came home from class so energized and so pumped up and feeling great. And it was just a great lesson to me that it does not take a lot of time to play and create positive energy. So often I think, I don't have time. I've got to work. I have to do all this stuff I have to do. I don't have time to relax or play or enjoy life. And it takes such little time for really big results. And I'm bringing this up at the beginning for two reasons. One, because that's going to be our topic next week, permission to play. And I tell you, if you did not think that play was powerful, your mind will completely change next week because play is amazing. So a little teaser, a little trailer for next week's episode Secondly, I bring it up to start on a lighter note because the way I'm starting this podcast actually is not a lighter note and it's not the way that I want to start this podcast. It's not the way that I was planning to. It wasn't in my script, but I know it needs to be talked about. I know I need to talk about it. So I was walking the other day with a couple of girlfriends and I heard about another young adult suicide. In fact, my friend told me about two. She works a lot with young adults. So a young woman, 25 years old, and then a college-aged boy in his young 20s, suicide. And it's so heartbreaking and tragic to me. And it's such an epidemic right now. And it's especially close to my heart when it's mothers with young children suffering with postpartum depression, anxiety attacks, anything that ends up leading to a death. And it's why I'm doing this podcast. There is a suicidal epidemic right now. There is an epidemic of depression, anxiety, mental illness, which I believe the name should be changed from mental illness to brain illness because the brain is an organ. I also know that it is treatable, it is curable, and that there are solutions. There's absolutely so much hope. There are answers. There is healing. And I can promise anyone that is stuck in darkness right now, it will not last forever. There is light. You can heal from this. You can get through this. I remember everything feeling so dark. And I have to try to remember it now because I feel so good now. And it's not a feeling that still lingers with me. When I look back on it, I can't even conjure that emotion, which is good. And that's been through a lot of process and a lot of healing. And so I really have to 
think back and pull into my memory to even talk about it. And I do remember just everything feeling so dark and feeling so heavy. Everything felt broken. I felt like I had broken my life. I felt that I was wrong. My life was wrong. Everything I did was wrong. I felt that my very existence was offensive to the world and I didn't know how to fix it. I didn't want to die, but there were times when I felt like there was no other answer. It just felt like I had to get out of a burning building. It felt that I just had to escape. I couldn't be in that place of blackness anymore. I just needed to be able to disappear. And I remember one day when I locked my kids in their bedrooms and I cleaned out the bottom shelf of a deep linen closet that we had in our house and I crawled into the very back corner because it was the closest thing I could find to a black hole. It was the closest thing I could find to a place to disappear, to cease to exist, to stop being so revolting, so reprehensible. And I scrunched into the very back of the closet, curled into the tightest fetal position, shaking, empty, freezing cold. And it's a beautiful warm day in Arizona and I am freezing. I am completely empty and just feels like the inside of my body is ice. And I huddled there for, I don't know how long, hours shaking until finally, and I don't know why, but I was able to crawl out. My kids had fallen asleep and somehow I was just able to stand back up and go through the rest of my day. And my husband came home from work that night and probably never even knew that that happened. These are tender topics. And my goal today is to be sensitive and empowering. My message is that you are stronger than the darkness. There is a scripture that says that one day we will look upon the force of darkness and say, this, this measly thing is what had such control over us. And this makes me think of times in my childhood when I had to sleep alone. There were eight kids in my family, so I was never alone very often, and I shared a room with my sister. But if there were a few times when my sister was on a school trip or maybe staying a night at a friend's house and I had to sleep in the bedroom alone, and my bedroom had three closets, and two of them were huge closets with sliding mirrored doors, and there were two windows in my bedroom and trees outside the window. So the effect of moonlight, the slivers of light through the trees and kind of reflecting off of these mirrored doors. And I hated to sleep with the closet doors open, but sometimes I would forget and I would crawl into bed and the closet doors would be open, which meant that the clothes and the shoes and all of the storage things and blankets that were in the closet, the effect of the moonlight on those clothes created the shapes of faces of monsters and villains and the headless horsemen. And as a child, I was terrified of the headless horseman. I swear I could hear him riding on his horse and the sound of the horse's hoofs running up through the field, the headless horseman coming to get me. And one night the closet door was open and I could see the shape and the headless horseman had snuck into my bedroom and was there cowering and hiding in the corner of my closet and I could see the exact shape of his torso and the headless form. And I could see an arm and I could see a sword and I cowered under my covers and I felt physical 
fear, my heart began beating and pounding in my chest and I was breathing so hard and I just pulled the blankets up and I needed to escape my bedroom and I prayed that a hole would open up in my bed and that I could just disappear and fall into darkness anywhere to be able to escape from the headless horseman who was ready to leap out and devour me. Somehow, I was able to muster just enough courage to reach my hand out of the bed covers and turn on the lamp, and I could see that this terrifying monster of the headless horseman was my sister's prom dress, hanging in a plastic garment bag. And the way that it was in the bag and kind of squished between the winter coats had created just this perfect silhouette of the headless horseman. In the light, I could see that this monster that had such hold over me, this silhouette of the Headless Horseman, was nothing more than lavender silk fabric and lace. How in the world did lavender fabric and lace nearly strangle me to death? It was in my own mind, but it felt absolutely real. My body was having a physical reaction to the fear and to the panic. You might say, well, that's just childhood folly. It doesn't really apply to depression and to suicidal ideation. I am here to say that the same thoughts that can convince me that a lace dress is the headless horseman come to sever my head are the same thoughts that can convince a 20-year-old college student or a mother of young children that her existence is offensive and that she absolutely must escape. And if there is only one message that ever comes from this podcast, it would be this that thoughts and feelings are real and powerful. Thoughts are electricity and ask anyone who has been struck by lightning or seen something struck by lightning or has come in contact with a loose wire, ask them how strong electricity is. Thoughts are so powerful, they convince you life is so bad that you can't be happy. Thoughts can be so strong, they create emotions of fear, worthlessness. They create feelings of impending doom, panic attacks, desperate need to escape. Thoughts and feelings are real. Every thought produces a feeling and feelings are chemicals. That's how we feel them. They're chemicals released in our body. And those chemicals, if they're negative, then they're toxic and they're poison and they can make us physically sick. And here's the good news. Thoughts aren't true. Most of the time, they're not true. A high percentage of the thoughts that actually run through our brain are lies. They may feel true. They may feel real. They can absolutely convince me that the lace purple dress in my closet is the headless horseman. But when I can turn on a light and shed light and see the truth for what it is, then I can see the real lavender and lace. My goal for today's episode is to shine some light on some thoughts some false beliefs that might be hanging in your mental closet. How many closets do you have in the bedrooms of your mind? And how many old garments are hanging there disguised as monsters? There have been multiple factors that have helped me in my journey healing from depression and chronic illness. Complicated situations very rarely are solved by one simple solution. But I can say that the very number one thing that has helped most in my healing has been discovering and changing lying thoughts. I discovered that my brain circulated a lot of lies about happiness. And as I began to seek real healing, one thing I discovered was that I had not given myself permission to be happy and that there were a lot of false beliefs I was holding onto preventing me from allowing myself to be happy. And a popular scripture took on new meaning to me, a scripture that says men are that they might have joy. 
And that scripture spoke to me personally. Malia is that she might have joy. And it felt like a commandment to me. And for the first time in my life, I felt like my life is meant to be happy. I am meant to seek joy, to find out what brings me happiness. What do I want? And so today's episode is all about giving ourselves permission to be happy. We are meant to be happy. It is time to shed the false belief that life has to be hard and heavy and miserable and that we're not doing it right. And it is okay to give ourselves permission to feel joy and happiness. And yes, it is possible to do that right in the middle of a life crisis. And no, it does not mean we need to be happy 100% of the time. And we will talk about that more as we go. So let's shine some light on some of these dark lying thoughts that block us from happiness. Number one, I can't be happy because life is supposed to be hard, miserable, full of tragedy. We have talked about this in past episodes. This is the false martyr syndrome, the false belief that I can't be happy and worthy of the kingdom. That somehow this belief that in order to be a worthy disciple means that I have to suffer in this life. Yes, loved ones get sick and pass away. There is betrayal. There are hard things. This is life stuff. This is life experience. And we can be happy in the midst of life stuff. I've talked a lot about this before in past episodes, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time today, but the false belief that life has to be hard, that life has to be miserable, and that I can't be happy and worthy, one of the number one barriers to being happy. And the anecdote to that is giving myself permission to be happy. I can be happy and worthy. I can be a disciple and a happy disciple. I can have challenges. I can have trials. I can have hard situations and... I can still be happy. False belief number two. I can't be happy when there's so much suffering going on around me. If people around me aren't happy, I shouldn't be allowed to be happy. This is a survivor's guilt concept. You know when soldiers struggle if they've survived when others in their platoon died or were seriously injured. Or also if there's someone who survived an accident where friends or family were killed and they have that survivor's guilt, like how can I go on and have a good life when other people didn't get that chance? It isn't fair for me to be happy because they don't get to. And survivor's guilt is a real thing. It can be so difficult to allow yourselves to be happy that you end up self-sabotaging through addiction or failure or just finding misery in life. But then what happens is that just ends up one more life lost. We can do this all the time too. Even if we haven't survived an army battle or a fatal accident, we still play out some version of survivor's guilt in normal everyday life. Have you ever felt bad or felt guilty from seeing someone else struggle and suffer with a hard challenge or a tragedy while in the meantime, your life is going pretty good and you think, well, it's not fair for me to be happy while they're struggling to the point that when you are around them, you feel that you either one, have to bring yourself down and minimize your own life, or two, it causes you to point out or magnify your own struggles so that they don't feel bad or that they don't feel jealous or that they don't judge you for having it too easy. My son is living in South Africa right now and he sends home pictures and he sent home a picture. He was helping a woman build a house and she was so ecstatic because she had acquired a piece of property and was building her own house. Somehow they'd acquired some scraps of lumber. They dug a trench and just set up 
these pieces of wood in the trench. And so it was truly just a one room wooden house. And when I see things like that, my brain starts to go, well, you shouldn't be allowed to sit here so comfortable with your air conditioning or your heating and your microwave oven and your automatic dishwasher when there are people in the world that are living in a one room wooden house. And when my brain starts to do that, if I let it go on, if I let that thought cycle unchecked, it will spiral me down and those thoughts will create guilt, they'll create shame, they'll create embarrassment and those emotions will lead to other thoughts about how I'm unworthy and undeserving and that God must be embarrassed about me that I live in such comfort and that I don't do more to help and those thoughts trigger more emotions of worthlessness and unworthiness and then those emotions trigger more thoughts about well, I should probably sell my microwave oven and my dishwasher and send the money to my son in Africa, which then causes me to start thinking about all of the starving orphans all around the world. And then those thoughts trigger in me emotions of powerlessness because how can I, one person, help all of the starving orphans around the world? And then those thoughts and feelings of powerlessness trigger emotions of despair until I am sitting in the middle of my comfortable home, absolutely miserable, and depressed. And in that state, I am no good to anyone. I am no good to myself. I am no good to my family. I am no good to my son in Africa. I am no good to any one person that I might have been able to help and serve. And does that make sense? How we have a society living with comforts and knowledge and technological advances that we've never had before. And we are sitting in the middle of these things absolutely depressed and powerless. When we might think that this is a sympathetic thing to do, to empathize with people that live in a different way than we do, that have a different lifestyle than we do. And we might think, well, that's Christian. That's Christian for me to sacrifice myself, to sacrifice my comfort and my happiness because they don't have what I have. But that is not the Christian thing to do. That is the selfish thing to do, to plop down in the middle of my abundance and my resources feeling miserable, powerless, discouraged, depressed. Here is the truth. We are all different. We have different lifestyles. We live in different cultures. We have different types of houses around us. And that's awesome. That's okay. And we can all be happy where we are. And making ourselves feel less than never elevates the other person. When I was newly married, I think it was our fourth Christmas together as a married couple and as a family. We had two little kids and we traveled to be with family for Christmas. We had just bought our first home and that is a big deal. Your first house, holy cow, the amount of papers that you sign. I'm like, I could be signing away my soul to the devil. I could be signing away my firstborn child and I wouldn't even know because there's such a stack of paperwork. But it was a very exciting time for us. And we signed, we closed on our house on December 1st. So we had taken every speck of savings that we had to put into that house. So we knew that that was our Christmas present. We weren't going to be getting, you know, kind of the tangible traditional Christmas presents that year. And our kids were little, they were ages two and one. So they didn't really understand Christmas and they weren't gonna remember what presents they got. So we traveled to be with family and it had been several years since I had been with my extended family for Christmas and I was excited about that. So Christmas Eve comes and everyone goes to bed and parents were setting out Christmas gifts. And my older siblings and my parents, you know, were looking that we didn't really have gifts. We had just a couple of little wrapped things. And they started to go into panic mode, feeling horrible and 
looking, you know, at their pile of presents and then looking at our little non-pile of presents and feeling like they needed to fix that, which I completely understand. I would do the same thing. And so they started taking presents out of their piles and putting them onto our piles. And my mom was going, oh my goodness, I think I have this toy that I bought once a while ago on sale somewhere that we could pull out to give to your son. And it was really awkward for us. And family, I love you. And I would have done exactly the same thing. And I know that it was all in love and care for us. I also know that there were older kids involved that day and that it's important for kids to know that Santa is fair. I do this every Christmas wrapping my presents. I have to make sure that there are the exact same number of presents for each member of my family because Santa is fair. It was a powerful lesson for me in I didn't need anyone to feel bad for me or to feel like I was sad at Christmas because we didn't have a big pile of presents because I wasn't. I was happy. I just bought a house. I was with family and that's all I wanted. And I really just wanted everyone there to be okay with that. And I wanted them to have their big piles of presents. And I wanted everyone to have the Christmas experience. Does that make sense? What I really took out of that day is the realization that more than anything else, I want people to be happy for me and to be happy with me as I am, and that I can be happy for other people and happy with other people as they are. It's okay if our lives don't look identical. It's okay if they don't have the same microwave oven that I do or the same air conditioning. When my brain sees a picture of a wooden shack in Africa and starts to spiral downward about unfairness and injustice in the world, and with that light, I can see that it has nothing to do with unfairness and injustice in the world. And instead of feeling despair, I feel sheer joy and happiness for Mrs. Tembe that she got her first house. She has her own land. She saved the money for it. She made plans. She created blueprints and she built herself a house. And I am ecstatic for her that she lives in that house that is her own. It's not my house. It doesn't look like my house. And that is okay. Mrs. Tembe is happy with her house and I am happy for her with her house. And I am happy with my house and Mrs. Tembe can be happy for me with my house. We do not have to be identical. We do not have to have the same things for us to be happy as humans with our own lives and happy for each other. One more story. And I really hope that this is helping to illustrate the point. So the other day I was sitting between my husband and a good friend who was going through a divorce. And my husband made some kind of considerate gesture and tapped my knee. And she noticed and leaned over and remarked how thoughtful and tender it was. And instantly I felt my brain wanting to apologize that I have a nice husband. So my brain starts scanning for negative things that I can say about my husband. Like, oh, well, yeah, I was surprised by that gesture too because he normally wouldn't do that. Or well, you just caught him on a good day. Or, yeah, well, you should have seen how he whacked my head with a cupboard door this morning and didn't even notice or apologize. And that actually hadn't even happened, the cupboard thing. My brain even started creating lies because it felt like it needed to diminish my life to bring down my husband or to bring down myself. But I stopped the brain because I've learned that my brain lies. My brain is like that sneaky kid who has a habit of telling fibs and I'm learning to question my brain to see if it's fibbing or telling the truth. So in that moment, sitting between my friend and my husband, I have this little conversation with my brain. Why do I need to put my husband down? And my brain says, 
Well, because you have a husband and she doesn't, and she thinks that it isn't fair. So you should apologize for having a nice husband. And you should say something mean about your husband to show her how your husband really isn't that nice or great in order to make her feel better so that she isn't jealous so that she doesn't think that you think that you're better than she is. Woo! What a tangled mess of lies my brain can weave in microseconds. But aha! I could spot that my brain was lying because I recognize some brain tactics that are always trying to support lies, such as comparing and assuming what another person thinks or feels and aggrandizing my own role as the all-important person who needs to make the world better, equal, and fair. Here's the truth. Comparison never leads to happiness for either side. Making myself less never makes the other person feel more. Bringing myself down never lifts up another another person. I'm not talking about self-deprecating humor or being real because those things can be healthy and helpful. So if my brain ever goes into comparison mode, I spot that as a brain tactic to try to support a lie. Second, assuming. Assuming is always dangerous. Why would number one, I assume that my friend isn't happy or number two, that she's jealous. I can't project what she's thinking or feeling. For all I know, this could be the happiest time of her life after years of an unhappy marriage. So assuming is another brain tactic that's always trying to cover up a lie. And the third thing, that instinct that I need to appoint myself as the make it all better wizard. Anytime my brain tries to tell me that I'm in a situation where I'm better off than someone else, and so it's my role to equalize that, it's my role to make that fair, that's a sign that it's a brain tactic covering up a lie. The truth is, my friend and I, we can have different situations and both be happy. Her life doesn't have to look like mine, and my life doesn't have to look like hers, and we can both be happy. It's so dangerous and wrong and selfish and even egotistical, really, for me to assume that I'm happier than she is or that my life situation is better than hers. Do you see how that's really egotistical of me? If I feel like I have to bring myself down to her level, woo, (laughs) who am I? Who am I there to get off on thinking that I'm on some higher plane than people around me? But we do this all the time, right? Please tell me it's not just me. Please tell me that you relate to this, that we, our brains do this. We have, we get into that mode where we see someone else and we assume that they're worse off than we are and that we need to make it fair. We need to make it better. We need to put more Christmas presents on their pile when in actuality, they are great where they are and All that they really want is to be loved and validated where they are because we want that too. We want to know that where we are in life is enough. If we are newly married, buying our new house, and we got one little present for each of our kids, we want to know that that's enough, that that's great, that we're doing a good job. We don't want to be made to feel less than, or that we're not meeting up to some standard that other people think that we should have. I think we're very clumsy a lot in doing service and in doing work with the poor. We think it's Christian to go and help someone improve their lives, which I believe in service and I believe in helping people, but I think it's a completely different approach. If you go in making someone feel like their life isn't good enough, 
making them feel that it needs to be different, bigger, better, that they're not doing it right. I think that's very damaging and very harmful when most of the time the greatest service and the greatest act of love and kindness that we can give is to let people know that they are just fine where they are. They are okay and everything is okay and we are happy for them and we are happy for us. Another part of this is that it's okay for me to be happy while my friends might be sad or vice versa. Sometimes we need to be sad. Sometimes we are in the middle of hard things and we need to be sad. And we need our friends to be okay with us being sad and to not try to cheer us up or make us happy because sometimes sad serves us well. It's part of a growing process. We need to go through that, especially grief. Grief, you cannot jump around that mucky puddle. You have to go through every icky, sticky step of grief. There is no shortcut. There is no bypass. There is no helicopter that will come down out of the sky and lift you up and over that journey through grief. It's, you have to do it. It is part of the growing process and the only way to heal is going through it. And so when our friends are experiencing grief or experiencing hard things, sometimes the most loving and powerful thing we can do is to let them be sad, but we don't need to make ourselves be miserable. Does that make sense? We can bear each other's burden. We can be comfort. We can mourn with those who mourn without becoming miserable and despairing ourselves because that actually doesn't help the other person. They need to be sad, but they also need people around them who can hold that place of happiness, who can hold that energy of happiness because they want to get there. They want to get back to happy again. And so sometimes the best gift we can give is to hold that energy of happiness for them while we're putting our arms around them and helping them through their journey. So I think the bottom line here is it's okay to be happy. It is okay to own our own happiness. It is okay to have abundant life. It is okay to have microwaves. It's okay to have the life that we have and the resources that we have. We don't need to apologize for, we don't need to diminish our own happiness to try to make others feel better because it doesn't work. It's actually very snobbish if I'm feeling sorry for somebody and feel that I need to bring myself down to their level or bring them up to my level. This is all ego. Ego does this. Ego needs to feel higher than or more than ego feeds on comparison. So when your brain goes into the false lie of I can't be happy if people around me aren't happy. I can't be happy while people around me are suffering. Catch that lie for what it is. Turn the light on. See that it's not the monster in the closet and know that maybe one of the greatest gifts you have to offer the world is your happiness. Your happiness for yourself and your happiness for others as they are. False belief number three, I can't be happy because I'm so imperfect. This is feeling unworthy of happiness. Instead of happiness, we feel guilt, worthlessness, not enough. We prevent ourselves from enjoying life or enjoying a moment because I don't deserve this. I didn't do anything to earn this. Let's look at how this can manifest in life. First, we can prevent ourselves from enjoying life because we feel like we aren't good enough at life. We aren't doing things right. I know I just talked about that it's never good to assume or to project what other people are thinking and now I'm going to do it because thinking about the amount of suicides that we've had on our college campuses around here and I just wonder if these young students are just not feeling good enough. They don't feel like they're doing it right. They don't feel like they belong in a college campus or belong in the class. They feel like they're not getting high enough grades, that they're not going to be successful enough. They're worried about jobs and they feel like they have all of these expectations on them that they're not meeting up to. And then like, Life just becomes so heavy and overwhelming and impossible. 
And all of those emotions come from the brain lie that we have to be perfect to be happy. We really emphasize people who have extreme success or who are number one, the basketball stars, the record breakers, the Olympians, the movie stars, the person that won American Idol. And we see this on TV and on social media until we take on the belief that if we're not number one, if we're not a star, that we're not worth anything. When the truth is, most of us are very ordinary. And in the past, when I felt like I really wanted my life to be extraordinary and remarkable and noteworthy and amazing and newspaper worthy and award worthy. Oh, now I just realize how much I just want to be ordinary. I love ordinary life. I love imperfection. I love that I can have kind of a dirty house and that it's okay. I love that I know that my life can be what I want it to be and that I can do the things that bring me joy and make me happy. And that this level of perfectionism that I used to believe existed, that these imaginary judges that I used to believe were watching and grading my life, that they're faults, they're lies, they're monsters in the closet created by my brain. It is okay to be imperfect. It is okay to get C's or D's. It is okay to flunk out of a college class. It is okay to just show up and do what you can. Just show up and be who you are. Be the best that you can. You can be happy and be imperfect. Another way this manifests in life is not giving ourselves permission to be happy or enjoy something because we didn't feel like we earned it. We don't feel like I deserve this. I think as women, we do this a lot. You know that old saying that you can't have S-E-X if the floor isn't vacuumed? We do this to ourselves. We don't allow ourselves to sit down and enjoy a moment with our family if the work isn't all done, if the dishes aren't all done, if we haven't done something to earn it. Maybe we don't allow ourselves to sit down and watch a movie or go to lunch with friends if we haven't earned it, if we haven't done some kind of work to earn it. And that is not true. That is a brain lie. I can be imperfect and be happy. I can give myself permission to be happy right here in the middle of my messy kitchen. I can be happy right here. A third way this manifests is feeling like we can't be happy because we've messed up someone's life. Maybe our children aren't having the life experience that we think that they should be having or that we hoped that they would have, and we are taking it on that we have messed them up. That because Somehow I wasn't a good mother and so things that I have done have messed up my child and so therefore I can't allow myself to be happy because I messed them up and now they're miserable so I need to be miserable too. This can be a really powerful dark monster lurking in the closet if you've gone through a divorce. Feeling like, okay, I messed up my first marriage, I've messed up my kids, so why would I deserve to be happy again? Why should I deserve to find love again or be happy in my own life again or be happy with my kids? when it's actually a lie. And the antidote is, I give myself permission to be happy. I'm not perfect, it's okay, life is life. I'm learning the things that I meant to learn and I can be happy again and even more so, I can be happy right now. I can be happy in the middle of this mess, whether it's a literal mess of laundry piled up and every kitchen cabinet emptied by the toddlers, I can be here right in the middle of the mess and still be happy. Life does not have to be perfect in order for me to be happy. So I give myself permission to be happy and imperfect. They can coexist. I can be imperfect and happy. Number four, a false belief. I can't be happy because people around me don't approve of me. As part of my healing through depression, I was meeting with a counselor. And in one of these meetings, it came up 
that I'm codependent. And I was like, I'm not codependent. I'm one of the most independent women that I know. And it came as a big surprise to me that my source of happiness was linked to what other people thought about me. I had a false belief that if others weren't happy with me, then I couldn't be happy with me. I couldn't be happy unless someone else was giving me approval, was noticing the things that I did, was noticing who I am, validating me, and that that's where my happiness came from. For the first time in my life, I began looking for happiness inside myself instead of outside of myself. And I learned that happiness happens inside of me. Isn't this so different from what we're used to thinking? A big brain lie is that happiness is a destination, that happiness is a place that we can get to. And so we're always trying to find it. The featured image on this podcast episode is the highway sign, the exit sign that says happiness next exit. And I chose that on purpose because it doesn't exist. Happiness is not a place that you can drive to. Happiness is not somewhere where if you find the right turn off, that if you get on the right road, that you're going to find happiness. Happiness is not about finding the right guy or finding the love of your life or getting a book published or having your children do a certain thing or be a certain way or having your husband change something. Happiness is never a circumstance. The truth is that happiness is an emotion and we choose our emotions. We choose our emotions by what we think about our circumstances. So no matter what circumstance I'm in right now, I can choose how I think about it so that that thought can lead to the emotion of happiness. We need to change the way that we talk about our relationships. Oh, I love him. He makes me so happy. He makes me laugh. Oh, I just want to find a partner that makes me happy. The truth is I have chosen to be happy with that person, not that that person makes me happy. This is really true in relationships. You know the saying that if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? Well, that doesn't have to be true. I have learned that my husband can be grouchy and that's okay. Maybe he needs to be grouchy. Maybe he needs to have a day of agitation and I don't have to go there with him in order to be loving to him, in order to be compassionate to him. It's actually worse if we both end up grouchy and agitated together. It's much better if I keep my energy of happiness and I hold that place of happiness and then he can work through what he needs to work through and then me holding the energy of happiness helps him get back to that place and vice versa. This is a huge principle for me doing a podcast or writing books because anytime you share part of yourself and put it out into the world, not everyone is going to like it. That's good because it would be kind of weird if we all liked the same stuff. But it can also be really hard if people just think that you're annoying or dumb or just don't approve of you. And so this is important principle for me to remember that I can be happy even if people around me don't approve or if they don't like the podcast or if they don't like a book that I've written. That's okay. I can let them have their opinion. I'm glad that they know what they like and that they know what they want. And I can still be happy. False belief number five, and this is kind of the umbrella belief that all of the others fall under, and that is, I can't be happy until dot, dot, dot. I can't be happy until I find the city of happiness. I can't be happy until this utopia appears before me. I can't be happy until my husband changes this habit about himself. I can't be happy until my child changes and makes this choice and does this thing. I can't be happy until I get a book published. I can't be happy until I lose this much weight. I can't be happy until I have clear skin on my face. 
whatever it is, feeling like our happiness depends on some event to happen. False belief. Antidote, I give myself permission to be happy now. I can be happy with my husband with that weird habit. I can be happy with myself without a published book. It's wrong to put our happiness on hold until an event happens. When this happens, then I will be happy. When I finish my degree, then I will be happy. When the house is clean, then I will be happy. When we get new carpet, when the toddler is potty trained, when the baby starts sleeping through the night, then I will be happy. The absolute truth is if I'm not happy now, I won't be happy then. If I'm not happy now while I am in the process of editing and writing a book, I won't be happy when my book is published. Why? Because happiness is a feeling and feelings are a result of thoughts, not a result of circumstances. If I haven't learned to think and feel happy right now sitting in the middle of a messy kitchen, I won't feel happy when the kitchen is clean because when I get to the clean kitchen, there will be something else that bothers me. There will be some other then to wait for. The best evidence for this comes from World War II and stories of Holocaust survivors like Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. People who learn to find meaning, beauty, and even pockets of happiness in the most extreme circumstances of human brutality. And if Viktor Frankl can do it, then I know I can do it too. Which leads to number six and the final one that's really important to mention, and that is a false belief that I have to be happy all the time. Maybe sometimes we don't give ourselves permission to be happy because we're afraid we can't sustain that emotion or because we're afraid it will be fake or because sometimes we just really need to be able to be sad, need to be able to be grumpy, need to be able to be agitated. That is okay. I can give myself permission to be happy and also give myself permission to not be happy 100% of the time. I can give myself permission to be real. And also, I can give myself permission to not fake happy. Do you ever feel like you have to fake happy because people are expecting you to be happy? People are relying on you to be happy and because you know that if you're not happy that it's going to bring them down too and so you feel like you have to maintain this mask of happiness which is cumbersome that's not true either you don't have to be happy all the time and if someone else chooses to not be happy because you're not happy that's not your fault that's their choice they choose their emotions you don't have to fake happy to keep other people up they're responsible to keep their own energy of emotions up. So that can be a big burden of emotion to let go of, that I don't have to be happy and chipper all of the time so that other people don't get sad. Emotions are an essential part of being human, and we need to experience a realm of emotion. The scriptures teach that we need to have opposition in all things. We need to experience sadness so that we can know how happiness feels. We need to experience misery so we know how joy feels. Sometimes I need to be sad. I need to explore my feelings and I need to feel them so that I can discern what messages they're trying to tell me. So I do need to give myself permission to be sad, to feel the whole spectrum of human emotion. The difference is not allowing myself to spiral down into the black hole of toxic emotion. It's okay to feel sad, to acknowledge sad and to understand what message it's giving me and then move out of it. It's not okay to feel sad 
and then have that spiral me down into despair, discouragement, and depression. A quick recap, and I put these out of order from what they're written on my script, so I hope I can remember the order that I put them in. Number one, I can't be happy because I can't be happy and be worthy. Life has to be hard. Life has to be suffering. The antidote to that, I can be happy and worthy. I can be happy and be a disciple. Number two, I can't be happy if people around me aren't happy, if people around me have less than me, if people around me are suffering. False belief. We're all different. We all have different life circumstances. Making myself miserable does not make them happier. The antidote, giving myself permission to be happy for myself and happy for others in whatever circumstance they are in life. Number three, I can't be happy because I'm so imperfect. I'm not worthy of happiness. The antidote, I can be happy and imperfect. Being ordinary is great. There are no invisible judges. There is no standard I have to live up to for someone else. My life is mine. And the purpose of my life is to be happy. Malia is that she might have joy. You are that you might have joy. You are meant to be happy. Number four, I can't be happy because people around me don't approve of me. False belief, happiness never comes from the outside. Antidote, I give myself permission to be happy. Happiness is a choice. Happiness happens inside of me. Number five, I can't be happy until. I can't be happy until this event happens. I can't be happy until this changes. I can't be happy until this circumstances exists. False belief. Happiness is never a circumstance. Happiness is a choice right now inside. And number six, false belief. If I'm happy, I have to be happy all the time. Not true. Antidote. I give myself permission to feel my feelings and to experience the spectrum of human emotion. Especially, I give myself permission to feel what I need to feel, to acknowledge it, to journey through it until it leads me back to happy rather than leading me on a downward spiral. What an episode. I hope your bedroom is lit up bright. I hope you can see every item in your mental closet for what it is. We have so much to be happy about. I can call on the telephone and order groceries and have them delivered to my home. I can get on an airplane and fly to see my son in South Africa. I can snuggle with my little people on the couch and watch a funny movie and laugh until our bellies hurt. I can finish this podcast episode and go eat the gluten-free chocolate chip cookies that I made yesterday. So many reasons to be happy, and even if there weren't, I could still choose to be happy. So many people aren't happy, and worse than that, so many people have spiraled down into true blackness and despair. I know. I know it feels heavy and dark and impossible to fix, and I promise it is fixable. I promise you can reach out and turn on the bedside lamp and see the monsters for what they are. Nothing more than lies and false beliefs cycling through the brain and triggering all kinds of emotions. And it feels real and it feels like the monster is there and that any moment it's going to jump out and devour you. And it won't. You have the power to shine light on your mental closet, to see your dark thoughts for what they are, and you have power to give yourself permission to choose what you think and choose what you feel. Remember, you have the power to give yourself permission to be happy today, right now, this minute. There are lots of ways to do that. There are lots of tools, and we will continue to talk about them in this podcast. That's what it's all about. Power principles to teach how to turn on the light and see your life for what it really can be. 
and power to give yourself permission to be happy. Thank you for listening. This is Malia Warner. I'll meet you back here for another episode of Power Principles, the podcast. See you then.